welcome to season two of I Quit Blank and Started Running. I am so excited to be back. For those of you who don't know, I am a winemaker in California, IRL, and September-October is our busy season, also known as harvest. It is why I had to take a little break so I could tend to the grapes and make some wine, while also lining up some amazing guests for this season. If you are new to I Quit Blank and Started Running, welcome! In this podcast, I speak with some remarkable people who turn to running as a way to overcome a particular challenge in their lives. Join me each week as I share inspiring stories of where they started, what it was that made them want to change, how running factored in, and where they are today. I'm your host, Antonia De Heinrich, and my guest today is the incredible Noel Malky from Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you follow Noel on social media, then you know the kind of athlete he is. In only five years doing triathlon, he holds multiple Olympic distance overall wins and course records in the South Midwest region. He was awarded All-American Triathlete for the past three years in a row, and on his very first attempt at a half Ironman distance, he qualified for the 2019 Ironman 70.3 World Championship in Nice. And it all started with running in an attempt to lose some weight and find himself again after a long, hard battle with drug abuse. Let's have Noel tell his story. Hey, Noel, how are you? Hi, happy to be here. Good. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here today on uh, my first episode of season two of I Quit Blank and Started Running. Uh, let's start with a quick introduction. What is your name? Where are you from? And when was your most recent run and how did it go? So, uh, thank you. Um, my name is Noel Mulkey and I live and am from Tulsa, Oklahoma, currently here right now. And my last run was actually yesterday. I had a midweek long run. Uh, it was an hour and a half, 13 miles. And uh, it went okay. I was actually, I didn't get started till later. And um, it was uh, like one of the hotter days of the week. One of the, we have had a, a cool front and then all of a sudden it got hotter. And um, it got pretty rough. <laughs> the last 30 minutes I was struggling. Um, but yeah, no, it was, a, it's good to get those long runs knocked out. Um, and yeah. That's so, awesome. You're training for something specific and we'll talk about that later. But um, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't imagine running in Oklahoma in late summer. <laughs> I mean, it's technically fall, but yeah. Right. I, yeah, the heat and the humidity, uh, hats off to you, really. Thank you. Yeah, there's those days. It's fall, but then all of a sudden they come and yeah, it's hard. Yeah. But, same here. Yeah. Same here, just without the humidity. <laughs> right, right. So I'd love to jump into the interview and um, sort of, you know, start with your with your story. So reading about you and your story, it sounds like you've had quite the journey and actually was an incredible one, I might add. So endurance sports like running and now triathlon weren't really foreign to you because of your parents, but mm -hmm. it wasn't until after high school that you really became involved. And high school wasn't a cakewalk for you either. In fact, you got into some pretty deep trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, why don't you tell us about what went on? So, um, yeah, so I did have, I feel like I've had quite a journey leading up to the, the, where I'm finally at right now in life. A lot of people have, but, um, yeah, so I guess let's start with, uh, a little bit of the backstory. Um, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I have a twin sister, two parents. It was a really, it was a really normal household. We went on vacations. We went on, uh, they are, my parents did the best they can with, my dad's a doctor. My mom works in community relations. I went to uh, an elementary school, like, I don't know, like two minutes from my house. I played soccer. Uh, I was on a swim team in eighth grade. Uh, so yeah, everything was pretty normal. Um, middle school was when, I guess you could say, I started to have a few problems. Um, I was pretty outgoing in elementary school. And then in middle school, that's where some things started happening in terms of my mental health. I was bullied in middle school. Um, not horrible. Everyone was kind of picked on in middle school. But I guess you can say I had never experienced like every little thing that 
I had wrong with me was kind of picked apart there. My voice, I was made fun of for my voice. Um, just every little flaw that I never even realized I had was kind of picked apart there. So yeah, I lost a lot of confidence, a lot of self-esteem in middle school. It was this big public middle school here in Tulsa. And what ended up happening was by the time I was done with it, eighth grade, um, I didn't want anything to do with public school. I actually ended up going to this charter high school, which was supposedly supposed to be smaller, um, more kind of liberal arts, a lot more accepting. It was That was supposed to be kind of where things were starting. Like that was the idea was to go to this smaller school, have one, more one-on-one -on -one connections with teachers, except it didn't go that way, like at all. Um, I actually, there was no sports at this school. So it kind of, I had been a swimmer for one year in eighth grade and that was kind of my only outlet uh since there was no sports at this new school i found a different outlet i um that's when so yeah freshman year in high school was when i started experimenting with drugs um pot alcohol um what what do you think that was a result of the school not having the kind of programs that you would have liked to see or was it because of the people that you were interacting with what what do you think it was was just a change because you wanted to go to this charter school right you wanted to get out yeah. of the public school go to this charter school and then it kind of wasn't what you expected is that what i'm gathering yes like i wanted to go there because i knew i was done with public school um and i Literally, I guess I had such an, like, I have such an addictive personality, and the only thing we, I kind of focused on, basically, from ninth grade for the next, almost, like, I guess for the next, like, six years, <laughs> was, you know, getting high. Um, yeah, there was no outlets. I, I, I'm not bashing the school. It was a good school, but I wasn't in the right headspace to make anything kind of work except drugs. That's kind of, it, it was crazy how fast it kind of happened, and actually, it's kind of how fast I got into stuff. That's how fast I got into this sport. It just kind of, that, I guess I've never kind of done stuff where it's always like zero to a hundred real quick. So yeah, now we're in high school. Um, by the time I was, it was my junior year in high school. Oh, sorry. Sophomore year in high school, uh, was the first time I ever actually got shot up with, um, heroin. And I, it didn't get too out of hand at that point. I was still, you know, I was still functioning. I was still going to school. I was still uh, passing. I was doing the bare minimum, but I was passing. Um, but it's interesting. My whole mindset throughout these four years in high school was all I cared about was drugs. I, that's all I looked forward to. That's all I, um, I, and, you know, I even got to the point, like it, it wasn't a big party school. Like it wasn't tons of us going to parties and stuff. It was real, um, it was kind of darker than that. It was me in my room doing it myself. It was me in my car. It was me lying to my parents all the time. And I feel like I never did anything really healthy. I never went outside to go walk the dogs. I never, um, I wasn't, I, I did have friends. The school was so small that we all kind of knew each other. But everyone I was surrounding myself with also just had the same thing going on. They all were doing drugs too. We all, um, we, everyone was, everyone was getting high. Everyone was, um, I mean, not everyone, but I'm, but yeah, the, the majority of the people I hung out with, um, it's like all the conversation was focused on all the time was pills and drinking. And, and so I guess it kind of went from middle school, uh, getting bullied, um, to this, which, you know, I did have a really, I feel like I had a, a good high school experience. I wasn't like miserable, but you know, I also was not in the right state of mind <laughs> for the majority of those four years. Do right. you remember how you accessed heroin for the first time? Like, did it happen in school, out of school, at a party? Like, how did that, how did that go down? Yeah. So the first time I ever tried heroin there was this yes i'm not going to name any names obviously but for but there is this girl uh who was i'm i was a sophomore she was a junior in high school and we were just friends we always used to get high together and i don't know i kind of remember i remember this one instance she had been an iv user for a while an iv drug user for a while and she like always kind of talked about it and i don't know she just one of the days after school we, i would always drive her home actually we'd always drive to go get something or she had two needles in her little purse and um she kind of just was like 
it was more just so casual. She was just kind of like, you want to try it? And she kind of, she, she did it to me. She injected me. Uh, she had it all with her. She had the heroin. She had the needles. She was 16. I guess I was, um, oh, what? I guess 15 maybe. Yeah, 15. Um, we were in my Jeep. She was like teaching me, but also like she, she got high too. Like she taught me how to tie off my arm. She taught me how to um, find a vein. You put it in, you pull it back, you see blood. And then if you see blood, you're good to go and you shoot it up. And I, I, in the first week we did it like in my, in my bathroom at my parents' house where I lived. Uh, that was the, I guess that was the first time we did it like three times in the course of like three weeks. I wasn't immediately hooked. Actually, I actually had a panic attack kind of, um, uh, first it, time. It, yeah, the first time I kind of had a panic attack. Um, not a panic attack, more of just like it, I will say it was, it was not immediately addicting. I will say that for me. Um, you know, I, I knew, I clearly knew it was bad, but I also like, I, I, I feel like I was cognitive enough to know like, yeah, this is total, this is not good, but I just didn't care at all. And she was really nonchalant about it. And, um, within like, I remember like the first time we did it, um, yeah, I was in the Jeep and then I, in my bathroom, my parents' bathroom. And it's actually interesting. The third time we did it, uh, was at this place called Turkey Mountain here in Tulsa in the bathrooms at like night. It was like 9 p.m. or something. Um, and she had, I hadn't yet to do it by myself. She had always sent it for me, inject me <laughs> with heroin. And it was in the, and I actually run by these bathrooms every day. Um, <laughs> now still. Yeah, now still. Isn't that crazy? I, that is crazy, yeah. <laughs> just the same hometown things, you know, <laughs> where you've grown up. Um, but yeah, I was like three times in the course of like, with like, of like two weeks, I had done it. Um, and I still wasn't like, I was not physically addicted at all yet. Um, I was pretty much a daily pot smoker, a daily, um, I drank very routinely. Um, and I was, I did a lot of pills, but these, this, these three, these few times I did heroin, um, I progressed more and more into it to where, uh, I finally learned how to do it by myself. I didn't really need her um, anymore. Yeah, so like junior and senior year in high school is when it got pretty bad. Uh, it, it gets worse later, but back still in high school, um, yeah, I was like going to this restaurant. Um, I was working at a restaurant and pretty much every ounce, every dime I made at that restaurant serving went right into my arm. Um, wow. And it, still wasn't, it still wasn't, I don't think it's even close to how bad it got. Um, but I was to where I needed something every day to kind of get, and I actually got off of it here and there two or three times. I just kind of told myself like, uh, yeah, my veins are, you know, I'm in, I guess I'm like not even a senior yet. And I'm wearing like these, you know, those arm, like arm warmers for biking. <laughs> I don't know that's how I compare it. Like, yeah, yeah. Warmers. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, this is kind of, I, I, I just, I don't know. It never really clicked that this is like really bad. <laughs> um, I was, and I was also, it was so strange how like, you know, my dad's a doctor. I grew, I know I, I, I was kind of high, I was very hygienic. I never, I wasn't very risky. It was always personal use. It was always, I feel like I was always very clean with it. And like, I don't know, it just never, I wasn't really a going out partying person. I was actually really, it was almost more depressing than that. It was me in my bathroom, me with this girl. Um, like pretty much the last two years of my high school experience was IV drug use and which kind of led up to my intervention. Right. Uh, so that's yeah. actually leading me to my next question. So yeah. you did graduate, right? <laughs> you did have some help, which you're going to talk about in a minute. Mm -hmm. So what happened? How did you graduate? And what happened after that? Gosh, yes, I did have help. <laughs> I got the diploma. My parents clearly knew what was going Like they didn't know the extent of it, but they clearly, they can tell, obviously, like, you know, your, their kids not doing <laughs> great. You know, oh, and I have to say, sorry, my sister, like I mentioned, I had a twin, I have a twin sister. She completely went to a different high school than me. She had a completely different experience. She was on her way to, she was straight A, uh, valedictorian. She was going to go to a really good college in Arkansas. So it was kind of like, I was definitely the troubled one and we kind of had completely separate lives. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I guess 
my parents, my mom in particular, had enough wherewithal to know, like, he needs to get this diploma. Like, I, like you're not going to be a not high school graduate. Um, and this is very, very, very vivid to me. Um, the last class I needed was this English class. And it was literally the last, like, it was like the last eight weeks of this school. It was the very first class of the day for me. And I never, and I was driving by then, um, and I can never get to it on time, never. Um, and I was actually failing because um, just from attendance, I was never there on time. But, and since I was failing it, I, I just remember my mom helping, like, like she wrote, like she honestly, I'll be honest, she wrote like two or three of the papers just to try to get me this diploma. Um, I ended up getting it. I, I passed kind of by the skin of my teeth, ended up graduating high school. I was not healthy at all by any means. Um, my mental health was horrible. I was completely fixated, like I said, on, on drugs. Um, and it was like this summer, I was 18. And now uh, my only kind of next course of action was just to try community college and still work at this restaurant this, as a server. And your goal was still to make money so you could afford your habit, yeah. right? Yes. That's like all I cared about was working at this restaurant. I, in my head, feel like I have my life together somewhat. People around me, like the people I lived with, like my parents, and I <laughs> uh, could clearly tell that wasn't the case. So one morning I wake up and I come out to my living room and there's this like random, I had, I had no idea this was going to happen. None. Um, randomly there is this guy sitting in my living room with my parents and my sister it's just the three of us my sister had gone off to college that year too she actually came home from for from college for this and all three of them my sister my mom and my dad and this guy are waiting there with like a, a their letters to me and it's an actual like you see on tv they were staging an in intervention for me um they actually hired somebody to do this right is that's this uh -huh. guy Yes. Yep. They hired a real interventionist. It's like, that's his job is to come to people's houses. He basically kind of coordinates it and he kind of talked to the family, talked to us. And then he, he laid down the, the rules. He said, you know, you're either coming with me or you're leaving your house. You're 18. Um, it's basically come with me, go with him, or you're going to get kicked out one way or another. You're leaving today. There's like no choice. I was very mad. You know, I'm young. I'm 18. I thought, I literally had like a work shift that night. And, you know, that's all I cared about. I didn't, I was like, what? I just can't, I mean, I, I'm going to lose my job if I don't, <laughs> I'm going to lose my job as a server. Like, I don't know. It's like, all I cared about was like making sure I, you know, get, get to this restaurant to, and I thought it would be hard to get another job. And I don't know. I was so tunnel vision. All I had was tunnel vision. And I was so mad. I, I was like, yeah, I guess this is really happening. Um, the thing with interventions also is that, first of all, it was a surprise, so you kind of probably felt blindsided. Oh, yeah. And, and, and sort of a sense of betrayal, I would say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I can, I can understand that why you were mad. I really do. Yeah, like, I can't, I was also kind of like, wow, I, I mean, I had no idea this was coordinated behind my back. None. It was, it was insane. They, they definitely did a very good job of keeping it a secret. Like <laughs> I just had no idea. And so I basically, it was that morning, all of this is another instance. I'll never forget a lot of this stuff, but that was another instance. Um, I had till like 8am. I was like, just woke up and um, they're basically like, you're leaving at your, your, are your flights at 8am? Like we're getting on that plane. If you miss the plane, you're homeless. And I reluctantly, very reluctantly, um, <laughs> went with this guy. I didn't even look my parents in the eye. I was walking out the house. I, uh, my mom was crying. I didn't even say goodbye or hug him. I, I was really actually really concerned about my dog because I was like, how long am I going to be gone? I love this dog. And he was kind of older. Yeah. And so, yeah, I ended up going with this guy, right? You ended up in Florida mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it was inpatient rehab, correct? Correct. I, uh, so tell yeah. us about that. Yeah. So I went to, I was actually one of like the, like one of the uh, weird record to hold, but I was like one of the record holders for how, <laughs> how long they spent in that treatment facility. It was this, it was this place just we really randomly found this place in, uh, Lake Worth, Florida. And I went from like, I guess it was like September to almost January, like January like 5th or something it was like after New Year's so I spent like almost three and a half months in this inpatient facility and 
every, and it actually, you know, it's inpatient. You So there was no drug use. I was completely sober. Um, I still wasn't, I didn't want to be there in terms of like, like something I'll always truly believe now is you're not going to get sober. You're not going to get, you're not going to change your life unless you, you want to nothing. If they want, if the addict, if someone, if you're forced into it and you don't want to, it's not going to happen. Uh, right. with, no, completely, with, I could completely agree. Yes. I've had personal experience with that. Right. With myself and my family. So yeah, I completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. And so it was, yeah. And so I, I, it, I won't say it's not worth nothing, but it was, I mean, it was either way, it was still three months clean without, I mean, that had been like the first time in like, I don't know, like five years since, um, I hadn't done anything for, uh, for three months. Um, and I was, yeah, so I was in that facility. Um, and then it progressed to a halfway house. I got out. Um, I actually met quite a few people there. Um, I, and then it progressed to a halfway house and I stayed in this halfway house for like, um, I think it was another like six months um before getting my own apartment in florida so this had gone from randomly out of nowhere leaving my house and then now i've almost been in florida for like a year now <laughs> and i haven't come home yet it was just now, how, how does how long were you supposed to be in the inpatient rehab yeah so normal normal stay for people with like and also it depends on insurance i guess we had really good insurance but normal stay for inpatient rehab is uh uh 30 days 30 30 to 40 days at the most. Um, it, it really is pretty rare for people to stay much longer than that. Um, but I just, every time we got to the time when I was supposed to kind of check out or when they say you're moving on to the next step, which is, which in the recovery process, it's normally a halfway house after that. We just kind of never did. And I was actually, and I wasn't, when I was in inpatient rehab, I actually wasn't someone who was like, I want to get out. I want to get out. I actually was loving it. It was a really, really cool place. Like, like there was nothing. It was just this really nice place in Florida. Like we got, you had no worries. Like literally you just had nothing to do except just like exist. Like we went to the beach. We went to, they, they took us to movies. They took us shopping. Um, like it wasn't. Yeah. So, so yeah, to answer your question, like 30 days, um, um, yeah, 30 days is what, what typical and I had gone I had almost been like three and a half months uh then I moved to this halfway house and I do this the halfway house thing for a little bit try to get a job um and then um is the halfway uh, I, house some a place where you live with a sponsor is that what it is or how does that work yeah a halfway house for people who don't know about that type of so a halfway house is kind of like a uh, return to society sort of thing. Like you, you move out of inpatient, you have way more freedoms. You basically, honestly, you basically just have to get a job. You have to, um, uh, make curfew, which is like, I think it was like 9 PM or something. You just have to be in there. You get routinely drug tested. Um, they make sure they, they kind of make sure you get a sponsor in the program and a in, um, NA or AA. Um, they kind of facilitate your life. They're like managers, but you're still, you have your own car, you have your own money, you're allowed to go have a life, but you have to get drug tested. Um, and you have to like, so it's kind of like returning to society after having all restrictions gone in a rehab facility. And so that's like what you have, you have support um, as far as, you know, I mean, for 30 days is one thing, but three months with full restrictions and then trying to go out and do all this on your own without, you know, you were intervention too, meaning you just left home, left yeah. your job, left everything. So yeah, you needed some help to kind of yes. take a step. Yeah. And we have roommates. So who are all in the, the, the halfway house has roommate, you have roommates. So you, they're all going through the same thing. They all just got out of rehabs. Um, and um, so actually things are going really well, except in my mind, uh, in my mind, I, I still thought it was not, I was like, this is not permanent. I know I'm, my whole time, I could tell I wasn't quite done yet. I was not done with this lifestyle yet. I knew I wanted to go. I don't know. I just knew I, I, I still wasn't healthy mentally. So 
yeah, I stayed in this halfway house for like six months and then moved into my own apartment with someone I met in Florida where you're not getting drug tested anymore. You're finally on your own. Um, I had a job again. Things were starting to get back to normal. And so that's when it started to actually get even worse. I actually, uh, the person I ended up getting this apartment with um, was also in the program, but basically two addicts living together uh, in Florida with no supervision, no, no anything. We had our own apartment. Um, and like <laughs> we stayed there for another Honestly, I don't know what would have happened had we stayed there. So now I'm going on like months, like 11 or 12 in Florida, almost a full year. Uh, and I'm worse than when I arrived. Way worse. Well, uh, and, you're, and you're only 19, right? So how old, how yeah. old is she? She was like, at the time, she was like 23, 24. Okay, so she wasn't that much older, but you know. No. Wow, okay. So carry yeah. on. What, hap what happened with, so you, you guys ended up, Back to where you started, kind of, right? Pretty much. Like, so what ended up happening was I, um, yeah, so I'm now, so I've been there for almost a year, but now we're in our own apartment and we were drinking and I was back to getting, it was very, it was almost easier to get stuff, easier to get drugs, easier to get heroin, easier to get pills in Florida than it had ever been in Tulsa. And it went really bad. I, I was staying up all night. I was, I, is the first time I tried crack cocaine and was smoking it all night. And it was like, it was like a solid four months of just constant drug use with this, with this lady who I was um, now living with. And so about four months into us owning our own apartment, she actually ends up kind of, it's, there's tons of details, but she ended up kind of robbing us and um, uh, not pay, like the money. Um, my parents, uh, the money that my parents were helping with rent because my parents were under the assumption that I was fine. Um, uh, still, um, she was actually not paying the rent. She was using it. She was just taking it herself too, to use for more drugs. And like, we ended up getting evicted, um, out of nowhere. One night I was working at the restaurant I was working at in Florida and we, I, uh, I got this call from her that says we've been evicted. Uh, we're not going to be able, like they want us out. And I was so, I was completely shocked. I had no idea. I also wasn't in the right frame of mind to like organize it and be like, what's going on. We just kind of, it just kind of ended. Like she, like we didn't have, so I it got to this decision where, um, yeah. So the decision was I called my parents. I went to a hotel and I was a mess. I remember I had like no energy to even like pick up a suitcase. I was just that depleted, that malnourished. I never ate. I was barely eating. I was just, uh, I was like, I was just up all night all the time um, using. Um, and so it got to the, so yeah, so I was remember being in this hotel room in De Delray Beach. Um, and my mom was like, uh, she wasn't quite filled in on what's going on. But I remember like the option was basically like, are you going to really try to stay in Florida more or just like, just like come home to Tulsa? Uh, long story short, I ended up coming home to Tulsa. And I remember, so it, we hadn't, we basically hadn't seen each other in a year, my parents. And I got off this plane from Florida after all of that. Um, I got off this plane and I was walking out the gate here in Tulsa, the same airport we always, I've been going to, I still go to. Um, and I remember coming out of the door and I remember they, they tell they tell me I looked horrible. I was like pale, skinny, um, just like I looked awful. They could tell I was very still very pretty sick. Um, and I came home and I came home to Tulsa and um, <laughs> worse, way worse than before I left. Um, and now I wasn't in college. Now I didn't have a job. Um, and I'm back in my same room, same, same house. Um, just, here and um and then that's so now where I'm at like I think I'm like 20 years old yeah 20 because I had been a full year and um that's when over the course of the next six months it got as bad as it can get I was uh I I found found uh people I used to kind of run with here in Tulsa again um I hooked linked back up with them who the people who were able to get me heroin um yeah, from like that point when I got home to like for the next 
I don't know, three or four more months, I was on a $500 a day heroin habit. I ended up pawning all my mom's jewelry. I was forging checks, um, was looking at how to sell like our bikes that my parents had, which it, and it just got really dark. I was not able to go uh, without using for more than like three hours. I, I would get very, very sick if I went without a shot for like more than three hours. Um, I uh, was waking up every morning extremely sick. Um, and yeah, this, that was kind of when like we circling back to when I said the addict won't get help unless they want to. Uh, I was actually at my friend's, my friend's house who, um, who we were all, it's just the same person who I've kind of was with here in Tulsa this entire time um, uh, since I've been back from Florida. And she actually, her friend um, OD'd right there. And then um, we used my car to take him to the hospital. He died three times on the table. He ended up li living, but it was like that night I uh, was like, wow, I, I, my mom called me. Um, and it's like, where are you? And she knew that I was about to, she, she knew something was up at that point. Um, like a day later, she discovered all her jewelry missing, literally all of it. It was like her 35th anniversary um, earrings that she got in Paris uh, from my dad. Um, like, like really sentimental jewelry that I, <laughs> I had pawned. And she was, she was, it was heartbreaking to watch her like see that's gone like because of me um and so so it kind of like this big climax this was like november this is like kind of right before thanksgiving i remember and then it was time i knew that this is no way of living like it's a miracle i had survived that long it's a miracle i had no deed it's a miracle i hadn't killed someone in my car you know um and i finally um went to detox but because I wanted to detox. It was me who wanted to do it. I was like, I, I, I and I'm still only 20 years old. Detox. So when you say you go, you went to detox, did you actually just do it at home or did you go someplace to do it? It's interesting. Yes. There's actually a world-class facility here in Tulsa um, that I was going to go to. And it turns out like it, the, the intake was taking too long and um, like, or like, and I was extremely sick. I was coming off of heroin and I, I was the worst pain I've ever been in. <laughs> I've never been in that much pain at detoxing from a heroin habit that, that extensive. Um, so I ended up uh, getting Suboxone after like 24 hours of going through this. And if for people who don't know, Suboxone basically stops withdrawal symptoms. Um, but you can also get hooked on that too. So the goal is to just use it um, kind of like a nicotine patch. It's, it's like for smoking, like a nicotine patch. Um, it's almost like the exact same thing. It blocks the receptors. I actually ended up detoxing at home and I was like up all night sick. And if you, if you've ever, if you know anything about hair and withdrawal, it's miserable. It feels like your skin is kind of falling or it feels like you want to jump out of your skin. Um, you're anxious, you're sweating, you're cold. It's just, it's something that once you fully experience, it's going to be really hard to get yourself to that point again, because I feel like if every addict were to experience uh, experiences withdrawal, then um, they will not want to go. <laughs> I don't, I can't imagine you trying to, wanting to go through that again. So it, it's a good deterrent from ever getting back to that point. Um, let's put it that way. So your first detox in Florida must have not been nearly this bad. Oh no, it was not like this. It was not coming off a $500 a day habit. It was just more getting my head straight and like coming off of six years of like, of this and that. And no, I was not, I was physically addicted to pain medication and, uh, sort of, it just wasn't as bad. No. Um, I had the whole plane ride to distract me. It was like nothing. It was like nothing compared to what this later, uh, one was. My body was much more dependent on opioids. It was like a week of just, it, well, it gets, it gets worse and worse and worse. And then it gets better. It's like every, I was finally, I was off the Suboxone. I was off a heroin. I was finally like, just fine. I was just, I was just, I was off stuff finally. Cause I wanted to be. Did you it get yourself through this alone or did you have help with that? Cause I mean, it sounds like if you do this alone, the, the fear of relapse or like, just get me out of this feeling would get right. you back to, you know, 
using. Oh, using again. Right, right. No, I was not alone. I was still at my parents' house. My parents are saints, saints. I got very lucky with the parents they had that helped me through this. My mom helped me. Um, she knew she, we could almost sense each other. She knew I was ready to stop this shit. <laughs> she was like, she knew it. Um, I knew it. Um, That's uh, amazing. Kudos yeah. to your, your mom and your parents, like Thank supporting you. you through this. Because I mean, honestly, who wants to see their child suffer like that? Right. Yeah. She says she has memories from these years burned into her brain that she'll never get out. Like me, like passing out in the hot tub and like, uh, uh, she, you know, she used to find needles everywhere under my mattress, in my shoes. Like, yeah. So she, they're amazing parents. And yeah, I, I know that that's traumatic to think back <laughs> her son doing that. Um, you know, they couldn't go to work without thinking that I was going to die at home every day during this. Like they just were, they were barely, they were not enjoying their lives either. I mean, it was, it was a really, I put us all through a lot. <laughs> You're only 25 now, right? Yes. <laughs> that, that's what I'm saying. Your journey, like, it's just mind blowing that from the age of 15 to now, what you've experienced overall and, and your family, obviously, but, um, so you, you get through this detox and I want to hear how you got into running and, and right. that. So, so yeah, let's get to that because like that was, I wasn't in school. I wasn't, I really had nothing going for me. Nothing. I was 20 living with my parents without it with, you know, just a high school diploma, no job. Um, uh, just kind of existing and I was depressed and, you know, one of the things with, uh, sobriety, if you ever look at, if you, it's a pretty common in sobriety uh, or when you stop smoking or when you stop drinking to actually gain a lot of weight because I kind of, I was doing nothing but just kind of eating and laying, sit, laying around eating, playing on my phone. So I actually gained quite a bit of weight. I remember um, I, I hated the way I looked. I was huge um, or not huge, but I, well, I, you know, I was for my, for my body stature, for my body type, I was pretty big. Um, and I remember there's this moment, um, I will never like forget this moment either. Another moment that sticks to me. There is these, there's these pair of jeans that it's weird. I know it's so cliche. Um, but there's these pair of jeans I have that, uh, I we used to go on, I had them. I don't know. We like, they like always stick out to me cause we went on all these trips with them. I bungee jumped in New Zealand with them. I don't know. I just like loved these jeans. Um, and I tried, I put them, I was going to go somewhere one day and I was putting them on and they would not close. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, they're, I can't fit into these jeans anymore. I felt horrible. I was not, I still was not very healthy. I just wasn't using, but I was still, I was, and I just looked awful. I hated going out. Having been from somewhat of an athletic background, like being in soccer, my parents were always fit. Um, like I, I just, I hate it. I'd never want to be overweight. I just did not like how I looked. That was kind of the moment that just like clicked. I was like, I just want to lose weight. I kind of didn't care about, I didn't care about drugs. I didn't care about any going to school or getting a job. I was like, I just want to lose weight. Like I wanted to look, <laughs> I wanted to look, I wanted to lose weight. And so I remember it was like the next day or something. I went on a run just around my block and I loved it. Like that was like all I could do was just the block. Uh, I, but I loved it. And You're probably like, the only person I know that has literally never or really hasn't run in a long time who can only run around the block and loves it. Like, I remember my first run around the block. I freaking hated it. No, because everyone, that's what's hard about it, running, right? Because they're always like, that was miserable. Now I have to do that, you know, I have to do that again. But no, I just like got back to my, my house and it was just like one block. Literally, it's the block I warm up on. You know, it's just, it's, it's. And I was like, wow, I, I loved it. And I literally went from then, I went from that to running from in the next few weeks, uh, like from nothing to like, I was running like 60, 70 mile weeks. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So your dad or your parents were both endurance athletes, you said, right? Yes. And, yes. and, um, and I guess your dad had uh, some inkling about what you were doing. And yeah, tell us about what happened with your parents encouraging you to the next step. So my dad was like, this is, you're going to get injured. You're 100% going to get injured because no one with no base 
goes from nothing to running this much. Um, and I had actually lost, I lost 98 pounds or sorry, 58 pounds in four months. I was eating nothing but vegetables and I, 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 I accomplished my goal probably too much, too much. So, and my dad's like, this is not, this is extremely unhealthy. Um, and he encouraged me, he like knew about triathlon. Um, he, he like, it was, sorry, he had done, he's won triathlons. He, my mom and him both have won triathlons. He was an ultra runner. Uh, he's a doctor and he works with this sports physiologist up at this OU Hillcrest uh, center. And he, he just kind of suggested it one day. He's like, no, cause he did, he did not want me to stop running. He loves that I was running, but it was also, once again, I went from zero to a hundred. I was taking it way to the extreme. And he's like, let's get you a max VO2 test. And I, he explained what that is. And for people who don't know what a max VO2 test is, it's, you kind of test your, your lungs and how much oxygen gets to your muscles. And um, I went to the lab with uh, David Brennan, this guy, anyways, this guy who ends up being kind of my first coach. Um, but it's interesting. So I'm not trained really at all. I just have been running and I do this test on this treadmill um, and I ended up scoring really good <laughs> for kind of like really good for having no it was just it was I it's like a strictly genetics there because I I have not have not have not been formally trained they got him excited my dad it got my dad really stoked it got this sports physiologist guy really stoked and the next progression my next step was like I somehow triathlon was suggested like because I had already been swimming I swam in eighth grade like I said and I was actually still really good at swimming um because i had been swimming also with running um we had tons of bikes um and i needed to do something else besides just run because i was 100 percent going to get injured and triathlon was kind of what was suggested and um so there was this sprint race um here just in the town over from me um and i i signed up and um i actually came in third overall my first one ever um and loved it loved it and then like six months later I did another one um with my I didn't even have my own bike I did it with my dad's road bike it was the my first Olympic distance I did a sprint just one sprint and then the Olympic distance uh six months later um and I ended up winning the whole thing and wow. um Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, just, I just love this part of the story. <laughs> yes, it's finally turning around, right? <laughs> um, and I just won and I like, like went from, and then immediately I was just, I don't know, I was just like hooked. I absolutely love triathlon. I got into the community, you know, I got the, the coach. Um, I finally got my own bike. Um, and I just, it's kind of, and that was, I guess, now that it's almost been like five years. Uh, yeah. Five years ago. Um, so I've been in the sport for five years. Um, and it kind of took off from there. Honestly, after I won that race, I literally said right then I want to go pro. I didn't want to do anything else, but become a pro in triathlon. Um, well, since, I think that might have yeah. something to do with your personality. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So <laughs> I was hooked, absolutely hooked. And that's kind of where we are now. I, I, have been racing for five years now and um i started sharing this story on social media and got the social media following and and um i have a coach now that i love and i'm working really hard and training every day and uh yeah it, yeah that's so, that's how i found you i mean yes yeah i found you and this running group on facebook right and and yep. i have been following you on instagram ever since that probably back in in april or whatever and i really love your instagram because Thank not only you. is your photography amazing is that all yours yeah it's pretty much all, yeah it's all mine so cool. I, yeah but i also feel like now that i've talked to you a couple times like your personality really shines through like you're not it's it's like you're really serious about triathlon but and training but you're not taking yourself too seriously like your tiktoks mm -hmm. and your your you know pink lit training room that kind of stuff lost, uh -huh. right <laughs> yeah so um not to put you on the spot but why don't you tell us what you've been able to accomplish in the five years that you've been racing and you know what are your racing goals for the future so i um i got a few course records here in the midwest region um i've got my fair share of wins here um 
I stepped up to the 70.3 distance, um, I guess, actually last, no, last year, 2019 was the first time I tackled a 70.3, and I ended up getting to go to 70.3 World Championships in Nice. Um, I'm coached by one of the, if anybody knows a, a little bit about triathlon or the triathlon world, I'm coached by Matt Hansen, who's an amazing coach. He's also like one of the best triathletes in the world right now. He's on the pro circuit. Um, uh, so I got to go to 70.3 Worlds. I was going to do my first Ironman this year in 2020. And then, you know, it's 2020. We all know what's happened. Um, uh, what has not happened in 2020? Yes. <laughs> yeah, what has not happened, right? No, it's been insane. Yeah, though that was kind of the next natural step was to do my first Ironman. Um, I was going to do Ironman Tulsa. Obviously, it's been canceled. Now, the next step um, is there's apparently, fingers crossed, 30 days from now, uh, at, on November 7th, we're supposed to have Ironman Florida. And so I am signed up, and that is kind of my – that's my goal. That's what I'm doing right now is pretty much training all out for that race to see what I can do. My goal, if the race happens, is to qualify for Kona, the Ironman World Championships in Hawaii. Um, that's my goal. I know and you yeah. can do it. Yeah. And especially because it's Florida and it's a way to show Florida what you can do. Well, Not how you left it, right? It's come full circle, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. Florida really has done a number on you, and now you're just going to show them, show them, show Florida. It, it really has. I, I would say, yeah, Florida, I have a history there, and that's a, that states, yeah, it's time to come back and um, kick ass, I guess, right? That's right, <laughs> and qualify for Kona. And qualify for Kona, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, no, I love your story. I love your energy. I love talking to you. You, I mean, yes, of course you're, you know, we're all addicts in a way, the people who come right. on had podcasts and I myself much minor addiction, but still. No, I, I, I say smoking is one of the hardest things in the entire world to get off of. It's, it's harder than heroin. Apparently it's the number one uh, hardest addiction to get off of, but no, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I know, <laughs> I say, our personalities I, all go down that road, right? We're all right. saying, okay, if we can't do this and we don't want to do that, then we're going to dive into this new thing, 110%, right? And so I can, I can totally relate. I'm obviously not nearly as talented as you are. And I'm also 20 years older, but that's besides the, the point. Um, but I think we all learn something from our experiences and how to not make our former lives and vices define ourselves. So in, you know, closing, what, what has been your proudest moment in life inside and outside of running or triathlon? I just think um, my proudest moment, you know, one of my most tangible moments was winning. I know it sounds so like it's cliche, but just like winning a, a race in front of my parents <laughs> who have seen me, absolutely the complete opposite of of a triathlete who's actually winning races um as a runner who's actually winning race like if you think about it like five years ago sitting in my room from can't find a vein um to crossing a finish line in first overall of everyone it's just complete night and day i it's just i mean every time on a start line i'm grateful and that's a proud a proud moment for me. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh, for sure. I'm just trying to picture yeah. your parents like standing at the airport when you're coming off the plane from Florida versus yeah. you coming through the finish line on your first triathlon win. Like that contrast alone gives me goosebumps. And I don't even, I've not even met you <laughs> or your I, family. I feel like, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely something that kind of makes me tear up. I'm sure, I'm sure if my mom got talking about all this, she would, she always kind of tears up at this stuff. It's, it's, it's night and day. It's been, and so yeah, running, it all kind of leads back to running. Running truly saved my life. It's just an amazing, <laughs> I love running. Running's amazing. It's, it's just yeah, I mean, you're not the only one. That's why I have this. That this is why this podcast exists because uh -huh. running has saved many lives, and I, oh, I wish yeah. more people realized that or knew about it or were willing to try it because it makes such a difference for so many of us, right? Oh my gosh, yes, it does. So, I would like love to tell people like 
just go on a run. Like, just go. <laughs> like, I just want to tell people in my life that I know who, who would just benefit so much just from just getting, go, just go on a run, 30 minutes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or 10. 10 start minutes. start yeah. with 10. And then, you know, exactly. Like, so what are some of the most important lessons you've learned from running and or triathlon since you started? Gosh, I mean, so one of my favorite sayings, one of my favorite lessons is, you are never stuck in your situation. Um, there, I feel like you can always turn around. Um, that's kind of a more generalized, but in terms of like triathlon itself, um, I, I, I know it's also, it's, you know, it's another cliche. There's clear, there are cliches for a reason, but I truly feel like everyone is tougher than they think they are. People are tougher than they give themselves credit for. Yes, it hurts. Yes, running is painful. Yes, towards the end of like a marathon, towards the end of a half marathon, you know, towards the end of your running, it is painful. But I, I tell myself that when I'm like having a horrible day and like this is like not, I'm like, it's windy, it's cold or it's windy, it's hot and I'm not having fun. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, you're tougher than you think you are. And I feel like I, that's a huge lesson I've learned. Um, also another, another lesson, um, is the ability to do this stuff, even if it's becoming monotonous and, you know, you're really deep into a training block and so grateful. Like I have a body still that like, I'm grateful to be doing this. Yes. Like you're, I'll have a moment like when I'm in the middle of a hard swim or a hard track session and I'm like, I don't want to do another, you know, but then I'm like, wait, shut up. Like this is nothing compared to you know what you've you what put you've your done. body through before yeah it's like i'm like yeah you're fine like just get it you know so the, i mean there's so many lessons throughout not just me throughout anybody who goes through sport that you can transfer into your normal life all these mental hurdles you always get i know you you can relate to there's so many little mental hurdles mental battles with running that once you once you accomplish, once you go through like these, all these little mental battles out on a marathon course or something, um, that's a lesson. Like there's so many lessons, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, I say something similar. I'm like, for me, pain is temporary. It and, is. Yeah. And, and the reward is worth the pain, right? Oh yeah. Oh so yeah. I know. Do I feel like going for a run every day? Absolutely not. But if I oh. don't go, I regret not going because I like how I feel after I'm done. Yes. And it's so much worse. It's that's so much worse than the 10 minute, than the 30 minute run, right? The rest of the day be feeling awful, you know, like. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no. So last question. Yes. What would you tell someone who's struggling in life or with, let's say the ramifications around COVID-19 and cannot like to this point where we we're just talking about, cannot fathom getting off the couch, let alone run. What do you tell them? Yeah. Well, so I would feel like I, you know, don't overthink it. Like I would tell someone who is truly, like, which is a ton of people right now all over the world. Um, I would say, just don't overthink it. Get outside and just start, put on some shoes and just start. Like, don't, don't make a time limit. Just put one foot in front of the other. I would love to like personally talk to anyone who is in that situation who's like, I just don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't know what's next. I don't know. I don't have a job right now. T to me, one of my favorite sayings is exercise, running exercise is truly a miracle drug. Like it's like the number one medication the world has to offer for like everything, like depression. Endorphins, dopamine, delivery for free. <laughs> for free. Yep. hundred percent free. And he's literally all you need is a parachute or, and to go outside. <laughs> And if you don't want to buy a pair of shoes, walk in your flip-flops and then see, and then upgrade, right? Yes, exactly. And another thing I want to say is also, it doesn't have to be solo. Uh, there are so many groups out there that I, when I first started, I didn't even think, comprehend, or even realize that you could get involved in the community. It does not have to be solo. Like, you can literally find, well, I guess the group thing is a little, <laughs> maybe not, maybe not now, but... Uh, you know what I mean? Like in general, are, but yeah, yeah, you can, you, yeah, you, the community sense is still there, whether you are yeah. doing it yeah. virtually or, or live, but yes, I agree with you. Like I, yeah. when I started triathlon, the first thing I did was looking for local triathlon groups because riding for five hours by yourself is really boring. <laughs> oh yeah. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. Find 
helpful. Yeah. And that's another thing I feel like a lot of people don't quite understand. Like when they're first like trying to lose weight or trying to get, for me personally, I didn't even realize that there's a whole community. It was more like just, okay, I'm doing this, you know, for me, but there is a whole community that it's very welcoming, very, that's one of the perks of, uh, being in this world too is also just the friendships you make, the people you I've met um, from all over the world. Like I feel like I, social media, like you've met a ton of people now, you know, through this community. It, it is, it is, a, it's a huge community. It's, it, it opens doors that you don't, didn't even know existed, whether it be relationally or kn- knowing about new races or, you know, or a new training opportunity or nutrition or whatever. It opens everything doors, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and they're all very happy people. <laughs> it's really hard to not be happy after a run. <laughs> it's a very happy group of people um, who do this stuff. And yeah, if you're struggling with, uh, I know COVID has been horrible this year for a lot of, for a, a lot, everyone, everyone has, everyone's life has been turned upside down. And um, I cannot suggest enough to go get some exercise, go for a run. Um, I feel like you have to try it to, you have to see, but yeah. (laughs) No, you, you, you definitely, the mental benefits, just, you know, what we were talking about endorphin and dopamine delivery through exercise and outside exercise. I mean, if you don't want to be inside in your gym, well, I mean, go outside because you can be outside and still walk or run with a friend six feet apart. You can wear a Mm -hmm. mask if you want to, you know, it's not like. Take your dog it's yeah take the dog exactly so it's totally what got me back into running i had taken a year off as i had told you i believe and yeah right covid was like all right well i do still have my running shoes and my gym is closed so here we go so i started this podcast for you and i it's (laughs) it sounds like you're you're on season two it's been very successful so far and like and once again that was another kind of thing from running right it's another door that it opened Yes. That I didn't know existed. So (laughs) anyway, Noel, I really, really, really enjoyed talking to you. This was a great opportunity to catch up and learn about you and your story and, you know, telling people what is possible and um, good luck on your Ironman. Keep me posted because, you know, we talked about this. I have a subcategory to this, um, podcast that's the my race series and mm-hmm, yeah i would love to talk to you after iron man florida and do this again on the my race uh series i would love to be back on it yes thank you for having me this has been amazing um to talk to you guys and kind of get this out there again um yes i would love to let you i'll keep you 100 percent updated on how this goes you know fingers crossed it's still gonna happen right we don't know but um yeah. But, but so far, 30 days, you know, you, you might still, you might be in the green. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. You know? Yep, that's what I'm thinking. Going to do everything I can to make sure I'm fit and ready to go. If it happens, I'll be on the start line. Um, and yeah, I'll keep you updated. And this has been great to be on here. Awesome. Good luck with everything. And we will certainly be in touch soon. It's hard to believe that Noel, only five years ago, couldn't go three hours without heroin, and now he's killing it in triathlon with eyes on Kona. The Ironman World Championships in Kona is the hardest race in the world for a triathlete to earn a spot in. Approximately 100,000 triathletes try to qualify, only 2,000 triathletes end up on the starting line. That's 2%. Depending on registration numbers and age group, you may not have to win your age group, but you need to be up there. However, winning does secure your chances. How awesome would it be to have Noel back as a Kona qualifier on an upcoming episode of the My Race series? Let's all keep our fingers crossed and send Noel winning vibes to show Florida who's boss on November 7th. To follow Noel and his progress, I highly recommend his Instagram, Noel Mulkey. That is N-O-E-L-M-U-L-K-E-Y. It's fun, inspiring, and has some really great photos and TikToks. I really need to learn how to use TikTok. Speaking of social media, in case you're looking for me in other corners of the World Wide Web, the best way to find me is on Facebook and Instagram under my name, Antonia De Heinrich. That is A-N-T-O-N-I-A-D-E 
H-E-I-N-R-I-C-H. On Facebook, head on over to the I Quit X and Started Running page and join the Quit Something Start Running group to follow and share stories. To subscribe to this podcast, simply go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whichever your favorite podcast listening platform may be. If you feel inspired, I would love if you would leave us a rating and maybe even a review. Thank you so much for joining me today for the first episode of season two. I look forward to welcoming you to my next episode on Monday, November 9th. Until then, my friends, quit whatever you're doing and start running.